Okay, Deuteronomy 22, verse 6 says, If you happen to come upon a bird's nest along the way, in any tree or on the ground, with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. You shall certainly let the mother go. But the young you may take for yourself, in order that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days. So much of the teaching that we've been going through here in Deuteronomy is instructing the Israelites about righteous living and, you know, right living, holiness. They're to be different than other people and other nations. And there's so many things that this constantly keeps pointing to them being set apart and separate, acting different than other people do. And I think we will see that. Just be thinking about that kind of when we read through these things as uh, they're, they're preparing to go into uh, the promised land. Uh, they're going to they're gonna go in there and, and battle to uh, uh, drive the people out, to overcome them. God is going to go before them to do that. And God is preparing them to do that. And he's also preparing them to be around the influences that are going to be in that land. So we need to think about it perhaps the same way that when we read these things, think about how the instruction that lies in God's word prepares us for the foreign world that, that we live in. Because we are not of this world, are we? So we are in the world, but not of the world. So... What, what reason is given here to take anything when you come along and see this circumstance here in verses 6 and 7? What's the reason behind it? May go well with them. Which you could say, maybe feed you if you're hungry, right? Absolutely. I mean, is, is that not a reason why you might kill an animal? Because you, you don't have any sustenance or you might take her eggs? Uh, absolutely. And then I think that it might go well with you goes much farther than just a hungry stomach and a, and a full belly. Uh, it's that it may go well with you in your life and how you live amongst your people and before your God. <clears throat> why, why the young and not the mother? Why the young and not the mother? Sarah. If you take the mother, the young will die anyways and possibly not well. Very good. Absolutely. And there's, there's, and there's another reason. Mike? The mother can keep on producing where the young would be. Absolutely. Just very common sense, isn't it? To, to not cut that off, you know, by, by making the wrong choice. Well, it's kind of like allowing the land to rest every seven years uh -huh. actually helps with the fertility of that land. So it's, it's not, just a, not just a religious thing, but it's actually like a practical thing of like, this is how you manage land. And this is how you manage, you know, animals and creek, like, you know, uh, we have rules for when to hunt, things like that That's too. Right. I mean, it's, it's like God's trying to tell them just some practical things of how to live so that I don't know, you can continue to be able to have these animals for future generations. 
as opposed to, oh, well, we just stripped a bear. And, yeah. uh, stewardship, isn't it? It's stewardship. And we're, we're, we'll see stewardship come up in what we, we uh, read and study today. Let's look at verse 8. When you build a new house, you shall make a parapet for your roof so that you will not bring blood guilt on your house if anyone falls from it. You know, we, we know of Bible characters that when we read about what's transpiring and what is written, it has something to do with the roof, doesn't it? Anybody remember somebody doing something with a roof? Who comes to mind? Anybody in particular? Okay, I didn't even have that one written down, David. The uh, paralyzed man uh, that his friends had brought to. Yeah, okay, that's what Sarah said, and I should have repeated it, but yeah, very good. Go ahead. David, he got in trouble on the roof, didn't he? He was up there looking where he... He had a parapet up there, so he didn't fall off. Yeah, he didn't fall off. (laughs) He fell in another way, didn't he? He certainly did. Acts 10, 9, uh, Peter was on the housetop when Cornelius' delegation came. He was up there praying, meditating, probably resting, perhaps. Uh, Rahab stored the flax on the roof, didn't she? And she also did what else? Hid the spies up there. So roof was some, some more room that they had, didn't it, that they could utilize in their home. So build a parapet. So it's the idea, what's a parapet for? So you don't fall off. That's already been stated. It's being Not responsible. For you, but for anybody who comes under your care. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody would, that would come under your care. The idea of blood guilt would be upon you if someone else would, would be hurt because of poor stewardship. Yeah, I, not I, being I think this is, this is a prime example of thinking beyond just what is stated here. It's not just about the parapet. You have to be worried about anything else in your house. If this is the example, but you can extrapolate that to if there's a hole in your yard that someone could fall in, do you not put up signs around it? Yeah. You know, I mean, there's, there's, do you have electrical wires just hanging outside your wall? You know, maybe you should take care of that because if someone comes over to your house, you know, it's just how does God see, how does God see um, his care for people and you wanting to be like him and thinking the same way that God does? And this is just one of those prime examples that demonstrates that. Yeah. Being considerate of others' well-being, you know. Especially while they're in your care. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's associated for sure uh, with this uh, and that's that's the main point. This this uh, this responsibility we have for one another, physically, uh, up to and including any control we have over those situations, and we carry it another level and and take that too spiritually, right? We're 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 going to make sure that uh, we can be as helpful as possible to everyone with both things. Okay. If you if you have a question and I, I move on, it's okay. We can roll back. I'm going to try to get through this chapter and hopefully into the next one. We'll 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 see how that goes. I like to title things, and these are not big blocks of text. Matter of fact, most of them are just a sentence uh, or one verse. But uh, 
This is uh, here at nine. They uh, it says you shall not show your uh, sh you shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, or all the produce of the seed which you have sown and the increase of the vineyard will become defiled. Now, when you go read commentators on this and. When I read the commentators, I came out knowing less than I did after I had read the verse. Yeah. <clears throat> so we can talk about this a little bit, but there's, there's much confusion here among the commentators. And nobody's confident in their understanding of it. It's evident by, at the, after they talk about for a paragraph, then, then they say, we don't know. You know so <laughs> why'd you do that? Why'd you say that to me? I read your, your work there, but we... We read it for looking for help because I needed help on this. <clears throat> I, I did pick up something I never thought about or never knew about. Maybe Ryan would know this. This is right down his field of expertise. Uh, it talks about sowing between the, the, the Egyptians would sow other crops between the rows in the vineyards. I've never thought about that. Susie and I just got back from Israel and we saw a lot of vineyards over there. There was nothing between those rows of grapevines. <clears throat> just grass, but they would sow seed in there. Now this takes it, it seems to another level, unless it's referring to the grape being one of the seeds, just to sow not only one seed, but two kinds of seed in there. So I don't know, Ryan, if you got any, anything to roll out there for us to help us find some uh, meaning here. <laughs> that lies maybe even as the as the main point with so much of this we're reading yes I think you're absolutely right. That, that that is there probably prominently in these things. And that's really the lesson that God is teaching us is, is the greater. Oftentimes he compares the two things 
or uh, presents two things to not be mixed together. Uh, you know, we'll get to the we'll get we'll get to the wool and the linen in a minute. It's very apparent there. I think it kind of jumps off the page at you, but yeah, right. It's, like I said, I think it, all, all of God's Word has a spiritual uh, appointment. In other words, even though we can't see it, <clears throat> there's, there's an underpinning there that is greater. And, and so much of what we're going to see is going to be two things, choosing between two things, not mixing two things. Uh, the common and, and, and then what is better. You know, what is better. Thanks for that, Ryan. I appreciate it. Bob? Some things they were already doing there where they were going to go in and They don't work together. Yeah. And, and they're, they're yeah. Very good. Well, now that you've segued us, we'll just go to the next verse. <clears throat> Being said, I'm trying to check them off. So, but I don't want to. I don't want to leave anything that where we can glean something for ourselves. It's some kind of a mixing something that is forbidden. Is forbidden by God here. And it's so, so the reader, the reader uh, should be looking for that teaching for sure. I even had a note that, is there any possibility that this is, okay, I've got a vineyard here that produces sumptuously, and then I go in there and I sow it with two different kinds of grain in between? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to maximize the amount of money I can make or amount of food I can glean? Am I being greedy? Am I taking away from... What's already perfect? Yeah, just a thought. Just a thought. I know. One of the things is us as New Testament Christians have to glean from this also is that if you live under law, you live under law. I just read that there's like 614 new 
just keep making more and more and more because you have to live under the law. Mm -hmm. And so you have to know what the law is. Well, no one can really remember all of those laws, and but yet we're held accountable to them. So it just shows us the in the, in the New Testament, he says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yeah. That's the that's what he tells us to do. Right. And so when you're trying to live under this, it's going to be long and hard. Yeah. And so it makes me way more appreciative of the blood of Christ and me getting to live under grace and mercy. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. Moving on to the use of animals um, that has been referred to, you shall, verse 10, you shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. You know, one of the things that obviously jump up to us is you can see an ox in your mind, you can see a donkey here. Uh, they're absolutely unmatched. You know, they're different body weight, different body shapes. I think there's something even greater here. Uh, I think you, you will notice that I, now, I am not aware of the fact that anybody would ever sacrifice a donkey to the Lord, but you can sacrifice an ox to the Lord, can't you? <clears throat> Is there a differentiation being made there a little bit of an inferior superior? Uh, that Say again, Bob. Clean and unclean. There you go. Okay. <clears throat> I guess I never thought about the ox and the donkey as clean and unclean. Uh, but is a donkey clean or unclean? Could you eat a donkey? Doesn't chew the cud. Doesn't chew the cud. If That's right. Unclean, they weren't supposed to even touch it, right? Say again. If it was unclean, were they not even supposed to touch it? I don't think. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah, you threw me a curve there. I wasn't thinking about that. He doesn't have a split up for chew the cud. Yeah, unmatched draft animals um, just don't make sense. It could be actually cruel, absolutely ineffective. Because if you're running the team, it's not going to work too good for you either. Plowing circles. You plan circles, yeah, yeah. The ox going to be on the inside or the outside of that circle. I don't think. I don't think it's though. Like there's a there's a physical aspect of it, but I I don't think it's just yeah. to the detriment though that there's also a spiritual of all of these things. Everything, I think there's a dual application out of all of this. Some of them we may see the physical thing, and some of them we may not know just because they would have known at the time we may be too far removed from some of that. Yeah. Well, we can just see that those things don't go together, and, and there's a proper way to do it and an improper way to do it. And I think a lot of this but is I think just God's training. Both. God's trained. He's training. He's training these people to think in a certain way. Yeah. And he used to think righteously and, and to think, uh, think in a way of holiness. And all that, all that thing, all those things work together. And stewardship is part of that, isn't it? It's part of how we think and how we make decisions <coughs> day by day. Any other thoughts on oxes and donkeys? Any, anybody got a, a real bell ringer for us? Tom. My memory is that the donkey was an unclean animal. Unclean animal, okay. We decided that, yeah. There was a principle made for redeeming the donkey as a 
substitute. Okay, that's yeah. correct. So that may be usable as a Okay, thank you for that. Okay, Tom answered our question there. Mixing materials, I just had mixing materials here. You shall not wear a material mixed of wool and linen together. I think this one is easier to see. <coughs> I'll read my notes. Um, so the mixing of things that are not equal seems to apply here also. We might ask ourselves, well, what's the difference between wool and linen? Well, there is a difference. Uh, you can both you can weave them, you can make garments out of them, but other than that, they are different. You know, Exodus 25, 26, 27, 28, verse, and also chapter 35, the tabernacle was built with materials. And, you know, what, what, is, what is in there that's in this verse so much is the idea of linen. Linen on, on, the, on the priest's bodies, linen in the fabric of the tabernacle. Uh, not just linen, fine linen. You know, it was defined with another definition. <coughs> the best, I would call it, I guess. The best. It's the, uh, um, it, was, it, was, it was what the veil was made out of between, between the outer uh, sanctuary and the Holy of Holies. You know, that's what the, the, that was made of. The, the outer curtain to the tabernacle was made out of fine linen. And of course it was all decorated and we remember those things that we uh, have studied in the past. So it just kind of appears to me, you know, we, we could look at uh, <clears throat> Ezekiel 44 states that linen is what the priest's garments were made of and that wool was not allowed on the priests while ministering in the gates of the inner court and the house. So we see linen, linen elevated here and wool made more common. Now we need to be applying this spiritually constantly. It's, it's not about the cloth, even though the cloth is the subject matter. You know, it's, it's about a mindset of holiness and separation of things. And that's constantly being pre presented here. So. It could also be some, some also practical things out of that too, of shrinkage rates. Yeah. If you're trying to weave those two items together, uh, it's like Jesus talking about, you know, trying to sew it. Unshrunk cloth. Or, yeah, uh -huh. uh, yeah, sure. That if you've, if you've wove, it's different than uh, like wearing like wool socks with cotton pants or something like that. He, he's talking about weaving them together that just like a donkey and an ox, you know, unequally yoked. It's kind of he's talking about similar types of things here too, in a practical sense, but also in a spiritual sense. Yeah. And I, I believe uh, that the teaching is to uh, teach the Israelites and to teach us as we read these same things <coughs> that uh, to set apart, to make a difference, and to see a difference, and to regard as holy, and to regard as better. The, the high road, if you will. You know, we, we talk about that sometimes in passing. That the Israelites were to separate themselves from common ways and, and common morality. Even, even the weave of their clothing, when they put on a pure linen garment, would speak in their minds to how they're supposed to live their lives. Because God had told them how to, how to adorn themselves 
and how to conduct their lives. So I, I believe this is a, a good example of this uh, making, making yourself different, setting oneself apart, because we are gods, and we are to do the same thing, Sarah. And just kind of building off of Tony's point, it would be a waste of material weave the wool and the linen together because once you washed it and wore it, it would be ruined because of the way that they interact. So not only have you wasted linen that you could use for a priest garment, you've wasted wool that you could use for your socks and your whatever. And so, it, and even though I suspect it could be a very beautiful garment, <laughs> it it has no use. Yeah. Or you could have made it and sold it to someone. <laughs> and they would have gone, oh, you know, paid you so much money for this, not knowing that you had done those kind of things, too. Yeah. And so, you know, there's just, there's multiple levels here of, of you yeah. being concerned what God is saying. Well, we, yeah, I, I agree. There, there's, there's a lot of depth here. I think it comes down to us making the right choices. And that's what's being taught here, is teaching the Israelites to make the right choices and to think towards God and the better things, the things that should be set apart and not mix them with common. That's what we do when we don't live our lives right, when we're trying to live a hypocritic life as a Christian and still live in the world. That's what we're doing. We're we're mixing a common thing and a holy thing together. That's a pretty simple, pretty simple concept, isn't it? And it is unsatisfactory, and the product is unacceptable. And that's in God's eyes, and we are the product. So we need to be cautious. Uh, Israel's having been separated unto a holy God was to be visible you know, in their lives, in the way they conducted themselves, and ratified in the manner in which they lived their lives before men. And yes, too reflected in their clothing you know not that anybody's going to look at you and say you must be a holy person you're wearing pure linen well the Jew would understand the backdrop of that and and could teach from there other thoughts we'll move on verse 12 you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. <clears throat> I've never seen this in my life till I was on an airplane going to Israel. And there were a lot of Jewish uh, men on that flight. <clears throat> and they wore, they wore top coats, kind of, and they had their tassels on. And I, I, was, I don't know what the you know, from their traditions and things from here on, it's all pointing to this scripture uh, that sometimes their tassels were short, usually with younger men, and some of the older men, the tassels were very long. I don't understand that. Um, But I was just interested to see it, and these, these physical reminders were on their clothing. And it just came to mind when I read this. It just kind of jumped out at me because here here is a a kind of a physical thing that is supposed to have a spiritual connotation. It's not about wearing tassels. It's about what what the scripture says here. You know, you shall make yourself tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. Uh, 
because if you turn over the numbers 15, 37 through 41, it says corner tassels of remembrance on their garments to remember the commandments of the Lord to do them and to not follow their own heart and to play the harlot, but to remember and to do all God's commandments and be holy. That's what the tassels are for, to have those things in your mind. The tassels were not, and they were just little pitiful little strings of things. I wouldn't even call it a tassel. I, would, I wanted to grab them and pull them off because they looked like a pulled thread. They were so, uh, so lightweight and not really ornamental at all. But evidently, uh, they were following this, and I hopefully, hopefully that their minds were where they needed to be if, with, that, with that thought. Nina. The Jews still are looking for the Messiah. They still don't believe that the Messiah comes. So right. they are still trying, doing a pitiful job of trying to live under the old law. Yeah. So th- that's why they do it now. Is sure. They're still, yeah. they're still trying to keep this. Uh, they certainly can't keep the old law because the temple is destroyed. Yeah. And it's impossible to, to do that. And so I just keep going back to the, tra- the, the window into trying to keep the law. This is just, we just see this window into what it looks like to try to keep the, the law. Yeah. And if we go back over into the, the New Testament, and he says, well, Moses said, Moses wants you to do that because of the hardness of your heart. But I don't do that. So if we go back into law keeping, I mean, he tells us in two verses what he means about divorce and remarriage and, and one woman for one man life. Mm-hmm. And he tells us plainly in two verses, yeah, we have libraries and libraries on what that means. <laughs> and so it's just like he said what it means. Said if you right. do this for any reason other than fornication, right. then you're well, please understand, I am not a proponent of us switching off of what we're doing now and going back to doing the law, you know, and following the law. I'm just explaining how, uh, how this looked with my eyes when I saw people actually practicing it. And my, my thought and went back to the idea is, were the people wearing the tassels as an outward appearance or an, in, an inward pursuit of God? And they were, they were commanded to put them on, and and by doing that, then to pursue God in the way prescribed in in this in this context. So that's the point I started. Yeah. Sure. That's right. If we could just stick with the Word of God and exactly. let that be the final word, absolutely. I saw a hand. Oh, Stephanie, I'm sorry. I just think it's compelling that the blue tassel story in number 15 is after a long spring of rebellion. And okay. so those people would have been like, oh, remember why we got the blue tassels? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Very good. Quick, Tony, and then we'll yeah, move on. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for wanting to make really long tassels, not yeah. for internal reflection but for yeah. external uh, notification Demonstration. Of, of their yeah. extreme uh, awareness of the, the law. Absolutely. Yeah, if you just if 
And that was one of the temptations. That what God is trying to do is teach the, end, the, the, the meaty concept, the, the thought, the principle, and get that in the heart. And, and that's what needs to take place. The other things are, were unimportant other than they were commanded. Well, that's what Jesus did for us. He took away those physical things because we were supposed to see the love of God and his desire for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son on the cross. I need to move on, Bob. Thank you. Uh, righteousness in dealing with sexual things. Uh, this, there's some several, several of them here. <coughs> if I don't get uh, a little farther than we are now, Tommy will, uh, he will, he will, he will mistreat me. <laughs> if any man takes a wife and goes into her and then turns against her and charges her with shameful deeds and publicly defames her and says, I took this woman, but when I came near her, I did not find her a virgin. Then the girl's father and her mother shall take and bring out the evidence of the girl's virginity to the elders of the city gate, of the city at the gate. The girl's father shall say to the elders, I gave my daughter to this man for a wife, but he turned against her. And behold, he has charged her with shameful deeds, saying, I did not find your daughter a virgin. But this is the evidence of my daughter's virginity, and they shall spread the garment before the elders of the city. So the elders of that city shall take the man and chastise him, and they shall uh, find him a hundred shekels of silver and give it to the girl's father, because he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel, and she shall remain his wife. He cannot divorce her all his days." So, the scenario is that it's, it's kind of hard to read between. There's, there's probably, I, I would have, might have done better just not reading commentators about this, you know, because uh, <coughs> sometimes they confuse you and get you thinking about things that maybe the Lord didn't even want you thinking about, you know. That's one of the dangers with, of studying with someone. Our commentator friends sometimes get you derailed, you know, and I'm easily led away. So uh, this this idea of I don't know if this man uh, he, he doesn't seem to be uh, in this scenario honest. He just seems displeased with the woman, or his wife. He's displeased with her, and so he has made this accusation in attempt to uh, do away with her, get rid of her, you know. Uh, which would have been a death sentence for her. Think about it. So, there's obviously no love for this woman in this man. And he's trying to discharge her, get, a, get, get away from her himself, and he doesn't care what happens to her. So it's a delicate subject, but uh, when it's taken to the elders, uh, the elders... Uh, produce the proof that the father supplied to them. That would have been a wedding night garment or something that is, was there. And the elders see that and they validate that the young lady, of course, was a virgin. And then the case is closed. Um, I found it interesting uh, and Im impressive that what it says in verse 19, uh, <coughs> There was a penalty imposed upon the man 
of a hundred shekels of silver that was given to the father. You know, this all kind of points to the women back then were kind of looked at as property in a way, and I say that with the utmost respect to our current ladies here. We don't think that way, but uh, there's, there's, there's some of that kind of laced into this. And it always even seems like the punishment on a woman was worse than it was on a man. You know, a man gets to get his pocketbook out and pay his way out of trouble. The woman got stoned, <laughs> you know. Not in every case, obviously, but this just my take on it in a couple places. Um, but the idea that this man, he publicly defamed a virgin of Israel. And I found that interesting, and I found it impressive of how a woman's chastity was revered by Israel. Not just her, but her family would be defamed. Also. Absolutely. Absolutely. That seems like she was at the very top of that list, no doubt, because it made it righted that wrong for the whole family. <clears throat> and of course, then this man uh, pays his penalty, and she's his wife, and he cannot divorce her all his days. Uh, you're not to toy with this. Purity that is found in a woman, a chaste woman, and it's held in reverence here, I think. I hope I'm not putting too much emphasis on that, but I think it's highly impressive and important that that's how they were supposed to think about their uh, pure young women. Sarah? I'm just curious what the marriage would have been like after that I mean, he's, he's defamed her, he's been proven wrong, she's going to be his wife now forever, he can't divorce her. I'm just wondering what kind of a relationship would they have after that, or could they have? Could they, uh, it, just, it just struck me that, that thought be a weird. crossed my mind once, and Didn't when it tried to come in the next time, I shut the door. Okay, yeah. I thought... Why would you want to be with this guy? You know, <laughs> of course, Beth. Our answer is God said. Exactly. This is what you do. And then we trust God and we do that and we accept we accept the path that He gives us to take care of that. Very good. If a man is found, verse twenty two, if a man is found lying with a married woman, then both of them shall die, the man who lay with the woman and the woman. Thus you shall purge the evil from Israel. I think the, the, the focal point of that is uh, a, a sin was committed of adultery here and it was dealt with swiftly and as God prescribes as a death sentence for the man and the woman it was zero tolerance 
use that one of our used words today. I don't know what we don't tolerate today, to be very frank with you. I don't even know if there, if you look that up in our dictionary, this probably has a question mark, you know, because we don't know what that means. This is zero tolerance. This is, God said it, this is the way it is, and this is the way it will be dealt with. So, interestingly, in John 8, the Jews brought the woman caught in the act of adultery to Jesus, but they weren't trying to purge the evil from Israel. They were trying to trip up the Savior of the world. Right? Absolutely right. Right. They didn't. Yeah, that's a point taken, too. Yeah. Sexual sin is a violation against God's covenant with his people. And it's dealt with just like this in this instance. Rape without protest. This is an engaged woman, an engaged virgin. 23 says, if there is a girl who is a virgin engaged to a man and another man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out of the gate of that city and you shall stone them to death. The girl, because she did not cry out in the city, and the man, because he has violated his neighbor's wife, thus you shall purge the evil from among you. Her not crying out, this is when we read that, and we thought, why is that? And then they give us that description at the, kind of at the end of the verses there in 24. <coughs> that her not crying out is accounted to her if she remains, she's yielding, um, maybe even consenting, maybe even consenting. And the punishment is the ultimate prize. The girl at the beginning uh, is an engaged girl in verse 23, but if you notice, he says he has violated his neighbor's wife. Engagement was the same as marriage. She had uh, promised herself to another man. So when this other man came in and took her, he took a wife away from that man. Wasn't her his wife yet, but engaged. Vows had been uh, exchanged evidently. And I just think it's interesting that the the engaged girl uh, or woman is, is accounted as a wife, the same as a wife in it. Um, what do you see there? Anything you'd like to comment on? Most of this is real clear. It's pretty clear. It's not pretty in any way, shape, or form. It's, and a little difficult to talk about. And it's kind of ugly, isn't it? Some just ugliness here. Well, we can be pretty ugly creatures, uh, can't we? We certainly can. <clears throat> here's here's kind of the opposite of that. Here's a rape with protest. This is another engaged girl being spoken of here, verse 25. But if 
if, but if in the field the contrast was the city in the other story where people were, this idea of being in the field, you cry out, nobody hears, right? So this story goes that way. He finds uh, the girl who is engaged, and the man forces her and lies with her. Then only the man who lies with her shall die. But you shall do nothing to the girl. There is no sin in the girl worthy of death. For just as a man rises against his neighbor and murders him, so is this case. <coughs> Excuse me. When he found her in the field, the engaged girl cried out, but there was no one to save her. So this is pretty crystal clear. The fact that she rebelled, she fought against, she resisted her attacker, where the one described in the city did not. And she would have had help around her being in the city. I think that's the illusion that is being presented for us to understand. And uh, so any, any thoughts on that? Sarah? Just part of me is, is in my head is going, it's, it's assumed that she would have cried out in the field and that no one was there. I mean, there's not, she doesn't, there's not a proof there. No one was there to hear her, so whether she cried out or not, it was assumed that she would have been um, an engaged woman who did not want this to happen. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, it just, that's something that's always struck me. I don't know that it means anything, but she's given the, the benefit of the doubt that if she was out there in the field alone, and is assaulted that it was an assault, not a tryst. Yeah. Yeah, some of those details, the what-ifs that we might want to stick in there are, are not provided for us. We just have to take this as, as a factual presentation of the circumstances. <coughs> Here's another section here. If a man f finds a girl... Do I want to stop there? I guess I'll stop there. We'll pick up those last two and go into 23 on Wednesday night. And we will get through 23. If necessary, by skipping verses. I, oh, we'll try not to do that. Thank you all for your comments. Not, not getting done where you want to, that is uh, the indication of probably some good discussion. Thank you all.